The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. Sometimes I can hear my bones straining under the weight of all the lives I'm not living. Sometimes I can hear my bones straining under the weight of all the lives I'm not living. Sometimes I can hear my bones straining under the weight of all the lives I'm not living. This is a quote from Jonathan Safran Foer's novel, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. There is a longing in these words, a longing for the what-ifs. Starting with the gospel, we hear that same longing in all of today's scriptures. We have Peter telling Jesus, No, Lord, this suffering must never happen to you. And it must have pulled on Jesus' heartstrings for him to react as strongly as he did. Get behind me, Satan! And I think this is one of the best examples of our Lord and Savior straining under the weight of a life he could not live. The other, of course, is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane asking for the cup of suffering to be taken from him. And turning to Paul, Poor Paul, forever writing to these communities of believers who just don't quite get it. I can hear Paul pleading, Folks, please, if you could just let love be genuine. If you could just stop trying to avenge yourselves and let God sort it out. One can almost hear the inward groans of Paul over the lives of the Romans that seem just not able to live like they should. And then there's Moses. Moses, someone whom we often see as this impassioned leader charging the Israelites forward into the Red Sea, Egyptians on his heels. But in today's story, Moses is not that man. Moses sees a messenger of the Lord in a blaze, in a bush, that is on fire, yet not yet consumed. 
And Moses could have ignored it, kept right on doing whatever he was up to. And how do we know that? How do we know that he likely first caught sight of this situation from the corner of his eye? Well, the scripture tells us that Moses turned. He turned aside to look directly at what was going on. So if he was having to turn to see it fully, he wasn't facing it to begin with. Which means, my friends, there was a choice. Moses chose at that moment to engage the situation and forego any other kind of life that he could have lived. He chose to look at the bush, and this choice came with a cost. Later on in today's scripture and in the chapters that follow it, we begin to hear Moses straining under the weight of other lives he could be living, lives that didn't involve setting the Israelites free, lives that didn't involve speaking for God, wandering in the desert, or for caring for a grumbly, ungrateful nation. We hear Moses' longing for doing, well, literally anything else in his verbal responses to God. God tells Moses, I have this particular life for you. I am going to send you to go to Pharaoh and bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says, who am I that I should go? It's that who me moment where one might be looking around and wondering if there was, in fact, someone else God might be speaking to. Never mind that you're clearly alone in that place. And God, in their goodness, reassures Moses, saying, I will be with you. And Moses says, okay, when I take this back to your people, Lord, they are going to want to know a name, a name for the one who sent me. And I wonder if Moses might be being a bit cheeky here, because names definitely had some kind of power in Hebrew scriptures. That's why they would change. Think of Jacob becoming Israel. So I wonder if Moses might be trying to trip God up, so to speak. Kind of a, I know you're not going to give me your name, so maybe I can avoid this whole life process if I just ask you for it. But of course, God simply responds to Moses' question, my name is, I am who am, or I will be what will be, depending on the translation. Tell them, I am sent you. 
And this is where our scripture reading for today ended. But I want you to continue with me for just a moment into chapter 4, as it gives even more weight to this longing that Moses has for avoiding the life God is calling him to lead. So God has given Moses assurance that God will be with him. He's given Moses the name, I am. And Moses follows up with a, look, Lord, I really don't think your people are going to listen to me. And so God, in God's patience, gives Moses not one, not two, but three signs to show the Israelites, turning his staff into a snake and then back into a staff, making his hand look diseased by sliding it under his coat and back out, and then healing it by sliding under his coat and back out again, and pouring water from the Nile onto the ground, and as soon as it hits it, it turns to blood. And these signs must have made Moses have some feelings. I mean, big feelings. Whether straight-up fear of the Lord or fear of the mission he was being called to, we don't know. But we do know that Moses again tells God, you really should choose someone else. And at this point, God is angry. I think it's probably justified, right? God has given Moses so much. And Moses just can't leave it alone. He goes even farther and says, Hey, why don't you send Aaron? My brother Aaron, he's great with words. Pick him. And despite God's anger, God relents, saying, Aaron can indeed speak for you, but you need to bring your staff, and you need to do the signs. And we know the rest of the story. And so I wonder, if Moses hadn't finally caved, what kind of life would he have been living? He was on Pharaoh's bad boy list. Might he have been arrested on his return to Egypt rather than pardoned? Might he have just slid into the background and joined the wandering Israelites? Obviously, we can't know the answer to the what ifs. Just like we don't know the answer to the what ifs in our own life. Sometimes I can hear my bones straining under the weight of all the lives I'm not living. And I wonder, what should we do when this happens? Do we respond like Jesus and tell these feelings? Get behind us. Or do we also, like Jesus, submit ourselves to the will of God? 
Or do we respond like Paul and chide ourselves and say, if we could just make the right choice this time? Or do we pull a Moses and try to obfuscate altogether? Lives? What lives? I'm not going to be living that life. The good news is it doesn't seem to matter a whole lot to God. God uses all of the above people for God's purposes. Jesus saves. Paul shapes generations of Christians. And Moses leads the Israelites to the promised land. So we don't need to be anxious when we start to feel the what-ifs. We can rest assured that God observes our misery, hears our cries, and knows our suffering, just like God did with the Israelites enslaved in Egypt. We can take comfort that God will come down and send us or send someone else to offer us peace. And it may not be an hour time frame, and it may not look exactly how we want it, but we can trust that God will heal our what-ifs. Amen.